Hey, have y'all ever been, uh, have y'all ever heard of uh, hit him with the one-two punch? You know what that is? It's a boxing term, one-two. You know about that? Well, I'm going to hit you with the one-two tonight. We're jumping right into scripture. I, myself, don't have a Bible. And I'm telling you to get your own Bible when I don't have a Bible. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians tonight. Um, chapter 1. We're going to be finishing up the second half of that first chapter. Um, so last week, do, does everyone remember what uh, Mr. Corey talked about last week? Second Thessalonians and Jesus are right answers. Anything more specific? I like to ask that because I want to make sure we lead in with uh, a good background and a baseline of what we talked about last week. Mr. Corey talked about present suffering for Christians, one of the main things that he talked about, and how we as Christians view pain, how we should view pain, how we should view affliction, how we should view suffering that is often associated with following Christ. And what's even cooler about that is all those things that sound bad is actually evidence of being associated to Christ. And so as Paul was writing this letter to the church of Thessalonica, it had to bring this church some comfort knowing that their suffering that they were currently in and that the suffering that they had, um, suf- uh, the, the suffering that they had experienced previously, knowing that God was going to bring them through that and bring them retribution, bring them deliverance, bring them victory through all of that. And so tonight... We're going to see that all of this will take place at this climactic event known as Jesus' return, his second return. But before that, I want to keep our, our theme tonight is going to be about judgment. And before we look at that, I want to actually look in the, the uh, Matthew really quick. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. So we're going to start... Actually, before we get into Thessalonians, I want to start in Matthew chapter 10, verses 28, or verse 28. And this is how it goes. I'm going to read it for you, but please uh, feel free to tag along with me. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I got a question. Who spoke those words? Huh? Jesus spoke those words. Y'all got it right for once. I, 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 knew, I knew I was going to have a question that I, that I was going to get y'all with, but that wasn't it. Because y'all always say Jesus. Those words were spoken by Jesus, and they reflect a staggering reality of an eternal destination for some people. Jesus here says, We are not to fear those that can kill us physically, but to fear the one who can destroy body and soul, a physical and a spiritual realm, by casting us into hell. Now, a lot of people don't like to say that word, which is a good thing, but it is biblical. The common picture that we get of Jesus from the world today, that, and, and what I mean by the world is some people that might uh, say they know what the Bible says, but they don't actually study it and they don't actually know the truths. They might say that Jesus is mild and that he's nice 
and that he's loving and that he's compassionate. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is all of that, but he's not only that. And if you have that picture of Jesus as only nice and mild and loving and compassionate, what do you do with the words in chapter 10, verse 28 of Matthew? So we're going to see some, some words, some additional words tonight in uh, 2 Thessalonians that I think will surprise some people if you've never read it. But again, my introduction tonight, I wanted to make sure we establish a good understanding of what tonight's theme is, and that is this future judgment that's going to come. Now I've got another question for you. Why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus sent? Okay, what you got? What you got, Finn Wickham? To save us from what? Uh, bad things. Bad things. Do you want to elaborate on the bad things? What? Do you want to elaborate, like explain the bad, bad things? Sin. Sin? Okay. Anybody else want to? Do you want to counter what Finn Wickham said? Hey, who, who knows John 3.16? Keep it going. John 3.16. Hey, what does John 3.17 say? Are you looking at a Bible? That's impressive. That's really impressive. What does John 3.18 say? It's okay. Hold on. That stud. That's a stud. Hey. I, I'm blown away. Do, maybe I need to sit down. Listen, John 3.16, we know it. John 3.17, I'm going to say it really quick, but she's, she's on point. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. There is a danger in not believing in Jesus. We see that in the two verses after the most one of the most famous verses in all of the world. There's a danger in not believing in Jesus, and that is that the wrath of God will remain on us. Because it says it, we're condemned already for those who do not believe. So you're right, Jesus came to the world to save us. He came for our salvation so that we will not perish but have everlasting life. And so you continue to see this image in Scripture as you go throughout uh, the, New Testament, the New Testament, even in all the way through Revelation 22. Revelation 22 talks about when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, there's going to be two destinations. We will either dwell in God's glory and God's fellowship, or we're going to be cast outside of that kingdom. And really, it's a pattern that starts all the way back in the Bible, all the way in Genesis. But again, really quick, I want to talk about some more stuff that Jesus said in, in Matthew. Okay, Matthew actually explained this really well in, through the use of parables, this theme of heaven and hell. There's a parable of wheat and tares where he explained that one day Jesus will judge everyone and the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God while the wicked will be delivered to that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's in Matthew 13. 
In Matthew 13, again, a few uh, verses later, he talks a parable about a net that describes the kingdom of heaven like a net being thrown into the sea and there's good fish and there's bad fish and the bad fish get thrown out. There's a parable of the wicked and foolish virgins in Matthew chapter 15 where it talks about a bridegroom coming and, and the wise virgins were ready for the bridegroom and went with Jesus to the marriage feast and the foolish virgins were shut out. And then there's another one in Matthew chapter 25 that talks about sheeps and goats. I'm sure y'all have heard that one more than any other one, but it talks about um, how when Jesus will come to gather the nations, he's going to separate them from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And so the sheep would inherit the kingdom and the goats will be cursed forever to an eternal fire. And so we see a theme that continues to be consistent in Scripture. There's two destinies, heaven or hell. And the concept for humanity is rather simple when you look at it. You know what that concept is? Jesus connects both heaven and hell. If you believe in Jesus and put your faith and trust in Him and repent of your sins and follow Him with your life, you'll have that eternal glory in heaven. But if you don't accept Jesus, the alternate is hell. And as we dive into tonight's scripture in 2 Thessalonians, we're going to look at three questions to kind of focus our attention on all of this. We're going to be talking about this judgment that I'm referring to at the second coming of Jesus. And the three questions are this for any of you that are taking notes. When will this judgment take place? Who's going to be judged? And what's going to happen at this judgment? So when's the judgment going to take place? Who's going to be judged? And what's going to happen? So as we move into 2 Thessalonians, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Christian to come up here. He's going to be reading our scripture for us tonight. I've, I've really wrestled with this for the past two, uh, really the past two weeks that I've been preparing because um, this is stuff that it's not always fun to talk about, but it's necessary to talk about because it's the truth. And, and I'm not intending any of this to be a scare tactic or to offend anybody or to scare anybody, but I want you guys to know the truth of what God's Word says. So um, in my preparation, all I tried to do was speak uh, all I'm trying to do is just basically speak what God's Word is for you. So, um, Mr. Christian, would you mind reading chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verses 6 through 12? And would you guys please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Can everyone hear me? Yeah. All right. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. Tell us well, to tell us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in the saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony you to this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you mind praying? Absolutely. Thank you. 
Dear Lord, we just, uh, we come to you tonight, we just, we pray for your word to be spoken through to, uh, to these young men, young boys and girls, men and women. Uh, we just pray that you change their hearts and their lives, and that uh, anyone who doesn't know you will come to know you tonight, Lord. Uh, we just, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Y'all give Mr. Christian a round of applause. He's carrying a human on himself. That's impressive. How many people in the crowd can say that you've read scripture with a human hanging from you? Not many. Go, Mr. Christian. All right. Oh, Mallory, sorry. Anyways, um, okay, you remember the three questions? We're going to take a look at about this judgment that's going to happen. The first one, when will this judgment take place? So let's take a look at scripture. When will this judgment take place? Paul indicates that this final judgment will take place when Jesus returns from heaven. Okay, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That is what we call the second coming of Christ, the second advent. And Paul has already indicated that this judgment has started in some way. So if you remember back in 1 Thessalonians, we talked about it in chapter 2. And then Mr. Corey last week in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 mentioned that already. And so Paul indicates that we see evidence of the righteous judgment of God in our own lives when we are suffering. So we have to see the judgment of Christ as having an already aspect to it in our present lives and a not yet aspect as we await for the future. We also see this in John 3.18. I'm still impressed by you knowing John 3.18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see that? Whoever does not believe in Him, or excuse me, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. There is condemnation already resting on those who do not believe. So that's the answer to the first question. When will this judgment take place? It's already somewhat happening in the lives of humanity, but the ultimate judgment will occur when Jesus comes back for the second time. So the second question, who will be judged? Paul describes two groups that will be judged and punished. The first group he mentions in verse 6. Let's take a look at that. Verse 6 says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So at this future judgment, those who have afflicted the church will be repaid with affliction by God. And so this could very well be rooted in the Old Testament concept of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. You see that in, in the book of uh, Exodus. But we also see that in Revelation chapter 22 again. It's in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So when Jesus comes back, he's going re to repay what is due to people. The judge, this judgment and affliction that is coming, um, however men and women have treated or afflicted other people, that judgment will be given back to them. So that's the first group. The second group that will be judged or described in verse 8. Paul says in verse 8, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God 
and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So Paul is not only talking about those who have afflicted the church, but he's also talking about people who do not know God and have not obeyed the gospel. In other words, this judgment and this punishment will not only come to those who have actively rejected and persecuted the church, but it will come on those who have not believed the gospel, who have not obeyed the gospel. So that's the answer to the question two. The final question is a little bit more in depth, and it's, it is, what will happen at this judgment? What will it look like? And to answer this, again, I'm turning to Scripture. We're going to look at the description that Paul has of this, this judgment. And it's, and it's really a description that is unlike any other description that Paul gives of Jesus. Really, it's an unrivaled picture of Jesus until you get to the book of Revelation. And so notice the description starting in verse 7. Verse 7 says, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So when you see that word, mighty angels and the words that follow that we're not talking about the cute little plump angels that you get on your christmas tree or that you see in the store these are warriors these are warrior angels paul describes them in verse 8 as coming in flaming fire that's wild for the purpose of inflicting vengeance this is military language this is a king coming with his army those who have not obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus or have afflicted the church or have afflicted will suffer the fury of Jesus. And so we have to think back when Jesus came in his initial visit, he didn't come in fury and wrath. He came with humility and he came with love and he came with grace. He came to ransom people from the enemy. He died on a cross for rebels. But in this set, so the first coming was a rescue mission, but the second coming is going to be war. There will be nothing holding back Jesus at this point. He's going to come with full force with his heavenly army that will be under his command. And Paul says that he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And then in verse 9, Paul describes this punishment and vengeance in a little more detail. And this is where some of uh, some debate kicks in about what eternity offers people that don't know or don't follow the Lord Jesus. In verse nine, Paul describes um, a. a uh, I'll just read it for you. In verse nine, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. So I wanted, to, I wanted to speak on this really quick because this is something that's actually picked up a lot of steam. Um, I don't know exactly when this started, but I do know that I myself have seen certain pastors on social media talking about this, and I've actually had conversations with people at work about this. But some Christians out there believe that Paul, that whether Paul is talking about an eternal and everlasting judgment or whether he is talking about a destruction 
and an annihilation of believers in hell. But what I want us to see is that the language here is a little bit more clear than what these people give it. There are some people out there today that says when you go to hell that you are destroyed and annihilated. Because we see that word here, annihilation. Do you all know what annihilation means? That, uh, that's, yeah, it is destroyed. It's me. It's, you're done. There's nothing left. You're gone. And so if we take into consideration there's a broader teaching of the New Testament, and Jesus taught this as well as Jewish literature, we can conclude that Paul is being consistent as describing an eternal, conscience, everlasting punishment. This is what hell is. And if you go back in Isaiah chapter 66, you'll see there's verses there that talks about um, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance, and then a few verses later, it talks about their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched. You see an unending, an unending hell. Hey, do I have a video to play up there? No video? Oh, man. I had a video for y'all as a Disney Channel clip because I told y'all I was going to do it again. But anyways, have y'all seen Hercules? Yes. Hercules is a great movie. Again, I, I, I'm going to tell y'all this every time just as a reminder. I didn't watch Disney growing up, but now that I am married to a wife that loves Disney and I have a child, I'm forced to watch Disney. I shouldn't say forced. I love it. But Hercules, you know about Hades, right? The worthless worms and stuff. I had that clip to show you. I love it. It's hilarious. But I want y'all to see that sometimes the media and, and the world doesn't see hell the way the Bible does and the way that we should see hell. And, I, and that was just the lead into that. But there is a theologian out there named Wayne Grudem, and this is how he defines hell. He says, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for, for the wicked. And so this is the consistent teaching in church history, and we see that Paul's explanation of this punishment for those who reject Jesus is, is absolutely terrifying. That's what we just read in verse 9. Did somebody say something? What's up, buddy? Oh, I'm good. Thank you, though. We might, we might check it at the end or something. I, thank you, though. Um, those who suffer this punishment, this hell, will not behold the glory of the Lord. Do we see that in Scripture here? In verse 9, it says, they, suffer, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Um, I don't want us to miss that second part of that Scripture. It says that there will be no grace on that day. There's going to be no joy, no marveling at the Lord. On that day, the, the folks that we're talking about, these wicked people, will be cast away from the only source of grace and, and joy that we have, and that's Jesus. And so as we think about that, I want us, or I, I, was, I was kind of focusing on this in my preparation, but all good things that we enjoy in this life, everything ultimately comes from the hand of God. I think it's uh, Colossians, Paul writes about everything is connected through Jesus. And, and the description that Paul gives of this eternal punishment implies that those joys are going to be taken away because those judged will be cast away from that source. They will not be able to behold God. They won't be in His presence anymore. There's a guy uh, named Shane Pruitt. I'm, I'm kind of on a kick with him. I think Mr. Corey is too. Uh, he seems like a really solid guy, but I love this quote. I want to read it to you. 
And it's, it's talking about heaven versus hell, but this is what he says. The glory of heaven is that we will have greater joy and satisfaction there than anything we've ever had in this life. So greater things are yet to come for those who believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus. The terror of hell is that worst days and worst, or excuse me, the terror of hell is that the worst days and that the worst moments of this life that we're living right now will not compare to what happens there in hell. So your, your worst days in this life will be your best days in hell. That's scary. Now, I started off describing the bad news. I wanted to get that out of the way. Not that it's not important, but we're going to talk about some cool stuff here too. Some stuff we can rejoice in as believers in Jesus. R.C. Sproul explains in one of his books uh, titled Save From What, he says that we have to understand what we are saved from before we can appreciate the full joy of salvation. So we just talked about this eternal separation, this, this hell that unbelievers... Um, will be subject to. And the good news is that the church, the, those that are saved through Jesus Christ, will be saved from this wrath, from this fury, from this vengeance. The terrible event that we see for unbelievers will be a glorious event for those who believe. Look at, look at verse 10. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed... We're talking about the same event here, the second coming of Jesus Christ, that event that, that should strike fear in the hearts of those who do not believe. It should bring joy and glory for those who do believe. And Paul's hope and prayer here in these final two verse, verses is that we will be included in those who glorify Jesus on this second coming. He was writing that to the church, and we get the same message today. Look at what he says in verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this hopeful future for faithful people. And so we see one of the most difficult things to do when we're walking through these painful times in our life is to kind of keep that proper perspective. A loss of perspective is almost always followed with a loss of purpose. And when our minds become fixed on what we don't like about our circumstances, we will invariably fail to consider what God could be doing through those circumstances. And Paul wanted the church of Thessalonica to view their circumstances through the lens of God's future promises. Although this, this second coming of Christ was imminent <clears throat> and God's promises always come through, the Thessalonians still had a walk and a mission to fulfill. And so do we. That's what we get out of these last two verses here. I got to get some water. Hold on one second. <clears throat> okay. Verses 10 through 12. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Paul's prayer here is not only that we will glorify Jesus in our lives and through our obedience, but <clears throat> that we will be glorified in Jesus. The cool thing about the grace of God through Jesus Christ is that it will work in such a way as to make us participants 
in the life of Christ. <clears throat> I'm going to have to get some more water. Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> All right. It's going to be rough. <clears throat> I got a cough drop. All right. No, no worries. The grace of God will work in such a way as to make us participants in the life of Christ. And on that day when Jesus returns, <clears throat> we will be completely transformed in his image. Do, do y'all know what that word is? It's a big word that starts with a G and it ends with Asian. Huh? It starts with a G and ends with Asian. Glorification. Glorification. We will be completely transformed in his image. Glorification. It is glorification. Thank you, Finn Wickham. <clears throat> it is the end with which Paul focused his ministry and his life. That is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. So, as we conclude tonight, I want us to look at the implications for this, for this church body. Again, this wasn't just written to the church of Thessalonica. But I want us to see it, well, what we can take from it. And the first thing that I want us to take from it is how we view eternity for others. How we view eternity for other people. So there's this story that I was reading about um, a time when, when the Viserie, the Viserie, I think was the name of it. Basically, this ruler that exercises authority on behalf of a king. Okay, kind of like a governor. There was this governor that was visiting this ship. Okay, the ship was in a harbor, and he noticed on the ship a group of convicts aboard a large galley ship. And as punishment for their crimes, these men were required to pull the oars of the ship. And so this guy was curious. He wanted to know what the convicts had committed. And so he went up aboard and asked them to tell their story. He went to each one. And one man begrudgingly said that a corrupt judge was bribed to convict him. The next guy said that enemies framed him by paying people to bear false witness against him. And then the next guy said that he was falsely accused by a case of mistaken identity. So one after another, the convicts explained why they were innocent, why they shouldn't be up there, and why they deserved to be set free. And this governor arrived at the last man on the ship and he was expecting a similar story. And he was shocked to hear the man say, I'm here because I deserve my punishment. Upon hearing this, the governor told the captain, how have you allowed this one wicked criminal to be in the presence of all these innocent men? You should release him immediately before he corrupts the others. And so human beings have such a difficult time admitting guilt. From our earliest years as a child to our later years in adulthood, we have a tendency to claim innocence even when we know that we are guilty. And we kind of see that in that story there. And the fate of the ungodly will be much different than the redeemed people of God, as the redeemed people of God will receive relief and they'll receive rest on that judgment day. Of course, to know that such a place like hell exists is bad enough, but to realize that untold millions will spend eternity there ought to cause us to, to really uh, shudder. <laughs> uh, from the latest statistics that I looked at, 
150,000 people die worldwide every day. More than 4.5 million people die annually in the world. And so you got to ask the question, how many of those people know Jesus as their personal Savior? Where are, those, where are these people going to spend their eternity? And so the uncertainty of how we might answer that question for the 150,000 people that die per day should immediately call us to action. Why are we always talking about telling others about Jesus when we leave this place? It's because heaven and hell are real. And though Jesus is the only way to heaven, we should be telling this, or because Jesus is the only way to heaven, we should be telling this out of every moment of our breath to the people that are outside of these doors, even to people within this room. The second thing, as we close out tonight, so that was the first thing, how we view eternity for other people. The second one is how we view eternity for ourselves. And so perhaps reading this scripture, um, you might have concern for your own soul. And so if you're a Christian, um, Christians are naturally concerned about their souls. And so if this message concerns us, maybe we should make sure to understand what we're describing. We might be describing perseverance. But the other side of this is that maybe you've never had a salvation experience. Maybe you are the one that you know you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, having fully repented from your sins and turned away and put all of your focus on Jesus and seen those life changes that occur from that, the sanctification that occurs in a believer's life. Maybe that's you. And so there was a guy back in uh, the 1600s named Walter Marshall, and he talked about something called fire insurance. And uh, some theologians have commented on the scripture that we went through tonight. It's easy to have a concept here of what we call fire insurance. And fire insurance is something where people just pray a prayer because they're scared that they are going to go to hell. If I just pray this prayer, then I won't go to hell, right? That's what the Bible says. I don't want to go to hell. It sounds terrible. I don't want that to happen. And he, he ended up commenting on that. But I, wanted to, I want to mention that if we pray a prayer in order to avoid hell and there's no other sense of love in our life toward Christ and His church and we have not believed and obeyed the gospel, that's not a true salvation experience. And so we've we got to remember there's two groups of people. And Pastor Jesse actually said this really well. You're either pursuing Christ or you're not pursuing Christ. There's no in-between. And so you have to... See what Scripture says about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Romans chapter 10 talks about this great. It says in verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That is the way through salvation. It is an act of God that salvation is through Jesus Christ only. And so as we close out tonight, I'm going to have Mr. Corey come up here and, and pray us out. Um, deep stuff tonight. Deep stuff in 2 Thessalonians, but it's good stuff. It's good stuff to reinforce the truths of Scripture because the world tries to pollute this so much. And as always, I want to extend the offer um, to... If you have any questions about your, about your salvation, about what we talked about tonight, what we talk about any night, please don't hesitate to ask us. We have fantastic leaders. We have, we have leaders that have legit degrees 
in the Bible. And so don't miss an opportunity to understand this stuff. I'm not calling anybody out. And it's not me. <clears throat> don't miss the opportunity to learn more if you have questions. If you have questions. We love y'all to death. We want only the best thing for y'all. And uh, that is a fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ for each and every one of you so that you can go out and make disciples. Mr. Corey, would you mind praying for us? Oh, we'll get up here and say one more. Yeah, I just so. got in prayer.